May God's blessing be with you this evening once more. It's a privilege and honor to bring to you God's word. Please turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, and we're going to read from verses 5 to 13. And before we read this passage together, uh, let us go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, you have filled our hearts with uh, joy and gladness because of your glorious gospel that we have in Christ Jesus. And we thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Your word is life. And in this word is contained the message of your free and rich gospel. We pray that your word may edify us tonight and that we may take to heart the truths that we are about to hear through the power of your Holy Spirit. And I pray for those who have yet come to faith and repentance in Christ that this word may be efficacious to them through the power of your word and spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. It's Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 13. And and please notice if you're using the ESV, uh, verse 13 has a footnote, which you will find at the bottom of the page where we will end our reading of this passage. This is God's very own infallible and inerrant word. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. This evening we conclude this series on the Lord's Prayer by examining the doxology Before we do this, as you observed in our reading of this text, the doxology has been relegated to a footnote in most of our modern translations because it does not appear in some of our most reliable early manuscripts. Apparently, uh, the most likely scenario is that the use of this doxology arose uh, when this prayer began to be used as a liturgy to be recited or to be chanted in public worship. And uh, it was customary in Jesus' day 
uh, to hear Jewish prayers of that time uh, nearly always end with uh, words of praise. Uh, For example, each of the standard synagogue prayers known as the 18 benedictions ended as follows. Blessed, Blessed be the name of the glory of his kingdom forever and ever. As it has been suggested, it is easy to see how this ancient liturgical practice was adopted by the early church and most likely was based on 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 11 to 13, where we find King uh, David publicly praying as a response of the free will offering of the people had given to build the temple. It states in that chapter, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. So you can see that the doxology of the Lord's Prayer bears a remarkable semblance, a resemblance to David's prayer. And view of this is biblically commendable to integrate it into our daily prayer life. For fine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So let us at this moment dive deeper by examining the first portion of the conclusion to the Lord's Prayer. For thine is the kingdom and the power. J.I. Packer considers these as two words expressing a single composite of thought. Uh, this is known in grammatical terms as a hendiadis. The, the concept here uh, refers to God's omnipotent uh, control, or, or perhaps better, uh, his omnipotent rule. We find some merit in this understanding and a clear example in Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. So please turn with me uh, to that text, Revelation 11, chapter 15. And in the beginning of this chapter, the Apostle John uh, introduces two witnesses here represented as the church militant in his faithful witness as it goes around the world that is antagonistic to the preaching and teaching of the gospel. And specifically in this passage, it describes a world that responds with fierce violence. So please read with me verses 15 to 17. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. As you can see, we find a clear example of this fusion between kingdom rule and power. First, as one commentator has observed, the formula formula says the Lord God Almighty 
is used, rather, the formula of the Lord Almighty is used repeatedly in Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi to refer to God as the one who sovereignly directs his people's history. In fact, the title, Lord Almighty, is defined with the phrase, who is and who was and who is to come in Revelations chapter 1, verse 8. And take another look at verse 17. We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was. For you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The phrase, who is to come, is missing. But it is replaced by, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. For thine is the kingdom and the power is a confession of praise, of faith against a fallen humanity and a fallen kingdom that insists in looking on God as an inferior and that insists on ruling in our names. For thine is the kingdom and the power is a confession against a futile attempt to unseat God from his throne of omnipotent kingship. For thine is the kingdom and the power is a word of praise that speaks of God's eternal power and abiding sovereignty achieved through his victory over the powers of evil and redeeming us from our sins by the shed blood of Christ. For thine is the kingdom and the power is a word of praise that the kingdom and power belongs to him and him alone. But it can also be a request that God, as the incomparable uh, sovereign Lord of history, especially of redemptive history, to bring about the full redemption of his people. It is to request that the entire collapse of, the, of Satan's kingdom, the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of sin and unrighteousness, become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. It is ultimately to request to join a heavenly chorus as seen in this passage, in the 11th chapter of Revelation, we give you thanks, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged. Do you pray in this manner? That's the question. Do you pray in this manner? We see the same pattern of praise and request in the last uh, phrase. For thine is the glory. There are three main ways that the term glory is used in the Bible. First, the, the word comes from a Hebrew term meaning uh, heavy. So it means uh, gravity or heaviness, uh, greatness and abundance. As it relates to God, the Bible speaks of the internal weight of God's Character. As one writer puts it, glory is the excellency, dignity, and worthiness of God. It is the cumulative weight of all of, all of God's attributes. Is your prayer life weak and inconsistent? Then worship Him for all of His magnificent attributes. Praise Him for His omniscience. Praise Him for His wisdom. Praise him for his omnipotence. Praise all what he is. 
A second way that the Bible uses the term glory is to refer to, in the words of one author, God's exhibition or emanation or a communication of the internal glory. Hence, it often signifies an effulgence or shining brightness by an emanation of beams of light. That is to say, it refers to the visible manifestation of God's majesty. Although we're not encouraged by scriptures to experience this on this side of heaven, we can both praise him and petition that we will get to see his glory when we either die or Christ comes back, whichever occurs first. However, one of the main ways that that the scripture teaches us about this visible manifestation of glory is in and through Christ our Lord. We see his glory in the incarnation. We see it on the Mount of Transfiguration. But we ultimately see it on the cross. The glory of divine wrath is poured upon Christ. The glory of divine justice is poured upon Christ. And the glory of divine love meets both his wrath and justice on the cross. Paul, Paul puts it in this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He goes on, Paul goes on to encourage us to see this glory in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the image from one degree of glory to another. Do we praise God for the glory of the gospel in our prayers? Do we petition that the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, too, shine in others who do not believe? The third main way the Bible teaches us about the word glory is in rendering the honor and praise he deserves. This is the essence of the doxology. John Piper is well known to have said that missions exist because worship doesn't. God saves us to be worshipers. The noun glory becomes a word of action. It is ascribing to God the glory due to his name. As Matthew Henry states, it is ascribing glory to God forever. Intimates an acknowledgement of that glory, that it, that it is eternally due, an earnest desire to be eternally doing it with angels and saints above. Matthew Paul goes on to add to this, the words both show us that the honor and glory of God ought to be the end and scope of all our prayers And that we can expect no audience but upon the account of God's grace and mercy. For thine is the glory forever and ever. I'd like to end with a challenge offered by J.I. Packer as we come to the conclusion of the Lord's uh, prayer this evening. He goes on to challenge us in this manner. Do you identify with the trust in Jesus Christ as your own Savior and the faith in God as your own God through him and the recognition of every Christian as your own brother in God's family, which is expressed by our Father? 
is the hallowing of God's name in and through you. Whatever that may cost, your own controlling purpose in life. Do you want to see God triumph in his kingdom and to see everything that does not match his perfection come to an end? Will you labor and suffer for the kingdom, if need be, so as to become its agent, the means of bringing it into lives and situations where the gates have been locked against God? Do you happily take God's will of command for your rule and God's will of events for your destiny, knowing by faith that both are supremely good? Is there any matter in which you are flying in the face of God's will of command, excusing yourself on the grounds of there being other commands which you faithfully keep? If so, what will you now do about it? Do you see and know that unless God acts to provide for today's needs and to pardon today's sins and to protect you in today's temptations, you are lost? Do you make it an issue of conscience never to bear a grudge or cherish bitterness against anyone but to show forgiving mercy always because of the forgiving mercy that God always shows you? Is there any person whom hitherto you have refused to forgive for what he or she did to you? Will you ask the Lord this moment to help you change your attitude and get right with that person? Do you make it your habit to watch and pray against temptation? Will you make it your habit from now on? Is the Lord's prayer really in your heart? Are you being honest when you say amen to it? Oh God, make clean our hearts within us and take not thy Holy Spirit from us. May the Lord grant us his grace in teaching us how to pray for Jesus' sake. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen.